Hayır, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Ve sallallahu ve sellem ala seyyidin Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Duvayna ta'alumu ve ta'alimu ve tezekkuru ve tezekkuru ve nef'a'u ve intifa'u ve ifadet ve istifadu ve hatha ve temessuki bi kitabillahi ve sunneti rasulihi sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem. Ve dua ile huda ve dalalete alan khayri bitiga amradatillahi ve vecihihi ve kurbihi ve thawabihi. اللهم افتح علينا بحكمتك وانشر علينا برحمتك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا عليم وعلمنا من علمك ما ترضى به عنا ولا تؤاخذنا بما تعلمه منا يا حليم خلقنا بخلق الحلم وحققنا بحقائق العلم سبحانك لا علمنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم وصلى الله عليه وسلم وسلم محمد بسم الله so we're starting a new topic that topic is titled marriage social ideal and cosmic sign Marriage, social ideal, and cosmic sign. Uh, the inspiration and template, so to speak, for this talk is going to be from a lecture of that title that was given by Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah, Hafizahullah, recently in the Gambia. Uh, he gave this talk, and we have his notes. Uh, they're kind of cool because it has his handwritten Arabic notes with the typed English so it's just kind of cool to like see uh, mashallah his Arabic writing is really good uh, so we're gonna start that once we get into it we'll kind of read piece by piece but before we do that we have to do the stuff before it so this actual thing is about is about marriage and Marriage, the institution of marriage as again a social idea, ideal and a cosmic sign. But before we get into marriage, the institution of marriage and its representation of those things, and obviously we have to talk about the process of getting married. So anywhere, anywhere you feel comfortable. Yeah, anywhere you feel comfortable, you're fine. Um, and the issue or the topic of marriage is one that is uh quite common obviously in the muslim community but it's also one that has a lot of ambiguity and confusion around it um i like this this looks this looks good looks good on you <laughs> the table and the, <laughs> and the cheeseburger looks good on you and the um and part of why it has a lot of ambiguity around it i would say that there's two major reasons the first reason is that many of the guidelines that we have around gender interactions in general and marriage and getting married in particular are not things that are agreed upon by the society that we live in so that would be the first challenge how are you welcome welcome um, second challenge is that as with a lot of things in Islam there are Especially in things that relate to not worship, but daily life. So gender interactions, gender relations is part of daily life. Business interactions are part of daily life. All of these kind of things, they're not usually like the guidance on them is more, is more um, general principle oriented. And then the details of how it plays out are oftentimes regulated by culture more than more than the direct teachings of religion. And so obviously as a community in America, we are comprised of many, many different cultures. And so that also contributes to the lack of clarity around, you know, what to do when it comes to getting married. Um, so we'll say some things, you know, and, and as always, um, you know, we'll sh share things that, you know, the positions of, of people of knowledge and so on. If someone doesn't follow them or something, that's their own business, really. But, uh, you know, these things are there. I believe these things are there for a reason. Um, so the first thing is that I believe that the, the guidance that we have around gender interactions and how we get married is very real. And alaikum. And the realness of it is in accepting that there will be very real feelings between men and women, and that those feelings are something that we have to be careful with. 
because we have very clear rules on specifically on uh, physical interactions before outside of marriage right so obviously the the rulings on um, the marital act itself are very particular that it should only happen in marriage um, trying to use words that are family friendly um, but also things like even going down to touching the opposite gender I've yet to find anyone uh, any any scholarly position that allows people touching the opposite gender that you're not married that you're not related to either uh, married to them or um, you know they're your sister your mother or your mother's sisters so on you know you're not mahram to them somehow you might find some scholars who allow some sort of concession in the context of especially being a minority and handshaking and stuff like that but those are those are exceptions from the general rule the general rule is still uh, that that's something to be avoided so again you know cultures or peoples might choose to engage with that in different ways but that is the normative guidance that we have from from the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet and they're there as preventative measures uh, we also have very clear guidance on being alone with people of the opposite gender that we're not supposed to do that being alone with them is essentially to be in a place where nobody else can access it it's not necessarily like if 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 a man and a woman who are not related are like talking in the office and the door is closed that's not an issue as long as the door is open and you can see in and stuff like that that's not then something that is um, that's not accessible to others right but specifically to be somewhere that's not accessible to others uh, obviously to be aware of our we have guidance even around the gaze you know what we look at what we don't look at so uh, the more kind of lenient positions are that you can look at people of the opposite gender or even the same gender by the way you can uh, but you can look at people of the opposite gender assuming that you're not looking at something that is considered from their private parts uh, which is not what you would like culturally define as private parts but like what is supposed to be covered in the Sharia um, and and that there's no uh, attraction like if, if there's attraction then you're not allowed to look anymore and that would apply across gender and it also applies within gender by the way and this is these are things that were talked about in the fiqh books from very early on that that idea was acknowledged like in the fiqh books it's as uncomfortable as it might be for people to hear it the fuqaha always dealt with things that were actually happening in real life so oftentimes they'll, they'll talk about not looking at the opposite gender and being aware of that and so on and so forth and in the same category they'll say for example like men should be careful to look at young boys and stuff like that because they recognize that this was although it's not something that's okay obviously in the sharia they recognize that it existed in some of the societies that people were in and so on so they have to be aware of it so what's the rule on it so any anyways uh, all of those things are there all of that leads to um welcome assalamualaikum my doppelganger um the all of that leads up to the point that again if we're going to talk about this idea of marriage as an institution which is the which is the majority of of the conversation then a part of that is just to talk about gender in general and um, gender interactions in general i don't want to belabor it too much but there are some things that i think should be said and we'll uh, take them inshallah step by step hopefully in the quickest way possible New Horizon students can pay attention because you're going to be covering this on a school-wide level soon you get a head start inshallah uh, first thing is that we usually talk about gender interactions from the from the angle of the four P's and I'll tell you a little bit about how we got here in the four P's there was a period when we were studying in Egypt and uh, there was something that we came across over and over and over again in the works of the fiqh you know what is allowed and what is not allowed and the question that's always coming up is this question of like men and women mixing quote unquote that whole thing ikhtilat in Arabic ikhtilat and what does that mean and what are the guidance on it and so on and you, you keep coming up with this this particular phrase that keeps coming up which is uh, that الاختلاط لا يجوز إلا بحاجة that it's not permissible for men and women to be mixed with one another and how you define that is you know that's 
its own thing. But unless there's a reason for it. So we kept seeing that over and over and over again. We're like, okay, we need more on this. Like, how can we start to think about it on a community level? Because a lot of things can be reasons. Like, it can be, uh, you, can, you could probably make an argument, a legitimate reason that you should have an Islamic center where men sit on one side of the room and women sit on one side of the room and people behave themselves in ways that are respectable and, and they come and they benefit and they get to know each other and they ask about each other and they interact and everything else and it's very clear because we're a community we're trying to build community we're trying to know each other in ways that are appropriate like it doesn't have to be so like what is the reason type thing but at some level yeah we should know the reason and that goes back to everything in Islam right everything in Islam goes back to what is your intention so the four P's are number one, purpose. Number one is purpose. So the first question, I'm interacting with someone of the opposite gender. First question that I have is, what is it, why? Why am I doing this? And again, the teachings are always very real. It's not like, it's to recognize that relationships, the way that they go is, you're around other people, you start to feel some level of attraction. Me? Uh, I, uh, no, thank you. Thank you. You know I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. It's not a... It's not... A, uh, yeah. Now I open the door. Why is it a P if it's like reason? Where did the P come from? Purpose? Purpose, yeah. Purpose is what is your reason. So, uh, the question of what is your reason comes up. You know, um, and again, it's to recognize that these, like, you know, all of us have been around all kinds of things. Sometimes I notice that sometimes uh, something's real right in front of us, but we don't want to accept it because, like, we prefer a different type of narrative. And I can say for sure that in my life, you know, uh, a good portion of which now is becoming after Islam. Right, uh, in contrast to before, is that there's there's a pattern, and Allah says very particularly that shaitan for a reason, and that pattern is the pattern of existence. That don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. That's a very, subhanallah, like very simple but very powerful advice, because that's usually the way that it goes. You look at and like you know have the pre-Islam period of my life, I have the post-Islam period of my life, but I also have a lot of people that we talk to in office hours. And the lot of people that we talk to in office hours over the years, it's always the same. It's always, we were just hanging out, and we were hanging out with friends, and then, you know, we started to talk, and then we started to talk more, and then we started to hang out without friends around, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and it's always like one thing after the next type thing, right? So the four Ps are meant to just help us to navigate this whole thing. So number one is purpose. So I ask myself, why, why am I in this interaction in the first place? And as simple as that is, that's a really powerful thing. It's really powerful on a communal level. It's really powerful on an individual level. So why am I doing what I'm doing right now? And it, it could be, in this case, like having some sort of interaction with a, a man or a woman or whatever it is. That's fine. But it applies to other things, too. Like why am I at work? Why am I taking care of my kids? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? The why is extremely important. And when the why is right, it can carry through a lot of other things. And it can also serve as a filter for certain things. So if I say, why am I, why am I in this circumstance right now? I'm in this circumstance because there's some work that needs to get done, and it needs both parties to be involved. There's some this, there's some that, I'm here to do this, whatever. And that why will help me to navigate. It's number one. Number two is professionalism. Professionalism. I think it's very interesting that a lot of the rules around sexual harassment are basically the rules of Islam. Like, what is sexual harassment in a workplace? This is like very, very similar to the rules of what we're allowed to do or not allowed to do. Um, but I like to think about professionalism from um, three components. You work from the top to the bottom, top of the human body. So the top of the human body is your eyes. And so the first layer of professionalism in that interaction is, how am I using my eyes in this interaction? Okay, like not just what am I looking at, but how am I looking at the person? And uh, this one, may, it may seem kind of strange for people, it may not, depending on their life history. But I remember 
SubhanAllah, when I was in high school, things you remember from high school are things you don't. There was this one guy in high school that basically all the girls liked. Everyone liked this guy. And everyone knew that he's not like the greatest guy in the world, <laughs> right? And like he's pretty clear. His track record, track record is pretty clear that he's not really a very good guy. And, and I heard stuff later on, subhanAllah, like he's really not a good guy. But everyone likes him. So there was a time when we had like, uh, there was like a football game or something, you know, and a, a girl that some of us knew came from a different school to the football game at our school. She meets this guy, so we're like, all right, here's our chance. We need to figure out, like, <laughs> what is it, you know? What is it about this thing? So we asked her afterwards. said, like, so everyone likes this guy. What's the deal? Why does everyone like this guy? And she said, and this is knowledge. Use it for, use it for good, use it for bad. You're responsible for how you use it, <laughs> right? <laughs> he said, and you might not be able to fake it as good as he was, but, you know. She said, it's because of the way that he looks at you. He looks at you like you're the most important person in the world. And like that's it. He's the most corrupt person, but he knows how to. He's he's figured out that gaze. And that gaze is an issue of professionalism, right? Like how am I? And that's obviously one example of it. But there's other layers. Like how how am I going to look at this person? How and and uh, and bo on both sides. So this is professional number one. Number two, professionalism. If you go down the human body, is the tongue. So it relates to like what is the kind of language that I use? What is the way that I speak to them? so on and so forth, the tones that are used, all of these kind of things. Um, it's not wrong to use different types of language and different tones and different things like that with the opposite gender. I think that sometimes we think like that's, uh, you know, some level of hypocrisy or something. No, that's just like some level of, I want to deal with certain people this way and I want to deal with other people that way. Again, this is not to shame anyone. This is just to like put us all on the same page right um, but the what kind of words that I use the language that I use the tone that I use all of these kind of things are all related to professionalism and they can all make like an interaction totally fine or totally not fine very quickly and and the lines it's not only when you're the actor but it's also when you're on the other side right so like these things are not only for I have to be aware of me and how I do this but I have to also be aware of how other people are doing this with me, especially I would, uh, and you know, at the risk of sounding uh, patriarchal, I would especially say this for for sisters, because brothers will systematically start in one place and proceed to another place, and they will do it very strategically and very systematically and very intentionally. That they will be talking to you and everything will be fine and the way the eyes are being used is fine and the way the language is being used is fine and so on and so forth. And then like the eyes will just slip a little bit, usually first, and then the tongue will slip a little bit first, and then they'll use this and then slowly like break down the barrier until there's no more barrier. It's, it's you know, over and over again, I've seen it. Um, intentional, not intentional, Allahu alam. We don't have to get into people's intentions, but it's still the way that it goes. So number two then is the tongue. Number three is kind of like the body language. What is the body language? Um, Elmo, you know, Elmo was talking about, there's a song in Elmo about the eyes and the ears and the body. The body's ready to listen. I forget it right now, but it was good. So watching it today, I was like, man, I need this in school. It's for like kindergartners. Uh, but it's, it's like how we hold our bodies is really important. And again, like when you get into this place where you can't really teach anything unless it's like strictly from the Quran or the Sunnah or whatever, then like it really it gets hard to actually teach culture and adab and all these kind of things. But there's like very real, um, like how I sit in front of, in some situations might differ than other situations. How, how I hold myself in some situations might be different than how I hold myself in other situations depending on who's around and depending on what's appropriate and what's not and like trying to maintain a level of decorum and so on and this is not just for like women right this is all of these are for men and for women it applies to men too like sometimes you see I'll see brothers who are like and we see it right brothers know you used to see it all the time when you deal with youth group and stuff They're like okay so why now are you sitting that way 
Why now? Like five minutes ago, you weren't sitting that way. But now the sisters came in the room, you're sitting that way. Five minutes ago, your voice was at a certain volume, and now it's at a different volume. Five minutes ago, you weren't laughing for everything that you said, but now you're smiling and laughing all the time and stuff. So like, tell me what's going on, really, brother. Is it just like that you feel so much happier now? Or is it that there's other people around that you hope that you get their attention and so on and so forth, right? So all of these things are there under professionalism. So this is second P. Third P is public. <coughs> Third P is public. As we said before, there's this issue of khalwa. And like, what does it mean to be in a closed place with someone else? Um, this one's a little bit complicated now. With technology, this one's a little bit complicated. Because we're doing a whole lot of things in private that we were never able to do before in private. It just wasn't, like before you had that thing that's in our pocket, you couldn't do it. Like sometimes my wife and I, we talk about how when she was in college, she was also a late adopter of technology because she didn't like it. She Somehow she understood where this whole thing is going. So she's late adopter. We were in college and she's like doing MSA work and stuff like that. And if you're working in MSA with my wife and you need to talk to her, and you're not there, like on campus, in person or something, you have to call her house. And who do you think is going to answer when you call the house? Baba's going to answer, and the oldest brother's going to answer, and everyone else is going to answer. And you're going to have to go through the gate in order to, like you're going to have to get on the phone, call the house. The house, the father is going to answer the phone. And he's going to be like, you know, hello, such and such residents, or whatever we used to do back in the day when all this stuff was like, you know, so and so. Um, and then they have to say, hello, sir, uh, this is so-and-so. I wanted to speak to your daughter. We have some, like, you're going to have to go through that, and it's going to be awkward. And if you knew my father-in-law, you would know how awkward that's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be even more awkward than you think with, like, most people. And even my brother-in-law, my, 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 you know, the oldest of my wife's brothers, you're going to, like, think twice about that. And you're going to really make sure you know why you're calling. And you're probably going to get asked about it. <laughs> like it's on their radar, right? Like why, why you're making this call and like if, if you've made too many, if they start seeming like they're not really necessary, it's going to be really clear. It's not going to be like, you know, you can just send messages at 10 o'clock and then 10.30 and then 11 and 1 in the morning and nobody knows you're sending them because they're like on this device that you deleted or on this thing that it disappears as soon as you read it and stuff like that. Like it's not, none of that is going to happen, right? But now you have this reality of, Communication and interactions, thank you, by the way, um, that are very borderline, you know, but they're also extremely prevalent. Like if I'm having, if someone, say we're in, we're in the majlis, to make it like very real. We're in the majlis and uh, Shireen has a question about something, you know, Shireen from the board. She's uh, married to her. <coughs> then she has to message me about it and she messages me about it and I respond to it. Is anyone else really seeing that? For the most part, no. So is it public or is it private? Mm. It's like very, it's, it's very kind of in between. So all of that is to say that the general rule, you have to be, and, and all of this stuff in gender interactions, it's, it, it, all, it all goes back to the same thing is if you're not going to be honest with yourself, forget all of it. Like all of it is, I mean, you can use it. It'll protect you still. But if you're not going to be honest with yourself, then like you're going to make excuses and do whatever you want anyways in the end. Um, but so what I always tell people about this now is that if you're, if you're engaging in like a conversation, let me see. You have a text conversation, right? There's another good example that came up for this recently. I don't remember what it was. And people are sitting next to you and around you and your family and stuff. And, you're, and you get a message. It comes on the table, and it comes, and you answer it like that, and you look at it, and you're still talking, and like you're just looking at it, and then you respond to it. You're probably okay. But if if your phone is sitting on the table, and like you're with your family and whatever, and people you actually are afraid of, by the way, it's not just like people that like khalwa. They even talk about that, by the way, in the fiqh books. Like, is it still khalwa being one-on-one together? Does it count as not khalwa if the other person has a friend that doesn't actually stop them from doing things they're not supposed to do? They say it's still khalwa. Because it's like, effectively it's the same thing, right? So it has to be people that you actually, not your friend who wants you to be in a haram relationship. 
but it has to be someone who's like you know a little bit concerned about these kind of things and then you pick it up and or you see it and you're like and you just like keep it moving or you you look at it and you're kind of responding to it and you're hiding it and whatever like then it's probably something else so if you don't want it to be public and not for like it's their personal business or something like that those are obviously exceptions but you don't want it to be public because you feel kind of ashamed about it then that's obviously an issue right number three so that's public there's some some issues in public that are a little bit you know unclear like for example riding a taxi or an uber is it public is it not it's a little bit unclear because technically it's public in the sense that there's like windows on a car and you can see and stuff but in some ways it's not because other people can't really access the car like you're so you're in a place where you're kind of seen but you can't be accessed and there's and there's still a lot of shady things like you know we lived in Cairo there's a lot of shady things that happened with taxi drivers and stuff like that like it's a, these are these are areas that are not really so clear so you have to kind of uh, exercise some level of judgment in them all right I feel like I spent too long on that number three is public number four is personal space actually to tell you the truth when we first started teaching the three P's and thinking about the three P's and stuff there was no fourth P because we felt that the first three my wife and I we felt that the first three were sufficient they they sufficed a person from number four and then we realized over time the, the first three are not sufficing people from number four. <laughs> like you get people who understand the first three. And when it comes to personal space, they're just like all up in your personal space. You know, there's like no idea of body and where it ends and where it begins and making space for people and walkways and like touching them and not touching them and all this kind of stuff. And part of what personal space also is related to is this idea of touching each other, right? Again, you know, uh, the point here is is not to shame and generally speaking just so everyone knows my approach when it comes to halal and haram generally speaking I don't have like a bone in the fight you know like if if there's an opinion that allows it I'll tell you that I'm aware of I'll tell you that but if 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 I've looked into this issue for a long time and read all kinds of things that people have said and have still not found anything that says it I'm going to tell you that too because you know that's that's the that's what we're here for um, so this is number four is personal space so purpose professionalism public personal space okay four things this is all outside of the whole conversation around marriage now let's say you get to the point where you want to consider the issue of marriage now we're, we're working up closer to the lecture you're getting to the point now where you want to consider marriage uh, there's a lot of entry-level issues here a lot of entry-level issues here the first of them is that and you know I'm kind of conservative on these things but so I put that out as a disclaimer I'm kind of conservative on these things um, people have questions or whatever we can do that um, is that I personally feel because of the nature of the guidance around gender interactions that we have in our religion you shouldn't open the door of wanting to get married unless you can actually get married. Because very, very commonly what happens in our community is people are like, oh yeah, I want to get married and that's why I want to talk to them. It becomes like its own little hustle, right? I'm only talking to them because I want to get married to them. Okay, can you show me evidence behind your claim? Like, I'm only talking to the sister because I want to get married to her, you know? And I told her I want to get married to her. Or on the other side of it often happens, the sister will come and say, well, he said he wanted to get married to me. That was the only reason that I even talked to him in the first place. And then like two years passed and he's still like never, you know, like no one ever talked to my family. And like, it's just you're like, so where is this going exactly? So the, the first thing here is that if you're going to be serious about it, you want to go down that route, then be serious about it. And the cards have to be on the table. Like if you're actually talking to the person because you want to marry them, then you should be ready to marry them doesn't necessarily mean you have to have the money yourself maybe you can come up with the money somewhere else or whatever it might be but you have to have some sort of plan the man has to have some sort of plan as to how they're going to financially take care of the woman if there's some sort of exception to that you don't figure that exception out once you're already emotionally involved with the person it's not fair to them you have to know that from the beginning how am I going to deal with this or at least be upfront with them with the, from the beginning 
Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm broke. So it's very much like, you know, at least you're telling the truth. I sat down in my, my, the living room of my in-laws and they said, so what are you planning to do with your life? And I said, I'm not really sure. I'm thinking about this. And then they said, do you have like any sort of financial? I said, no, I don't. Like I, this is so why are you here? I don't know. You're an idiot. But like, why are you actually there? Alhamdulillah, it worked out, but uh, didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like I, and there wasn't a whole lot of guidance around it that I got from people, you know. But you have to have some sort of plan. Otherwise, it's just like, you know. And the other side of it is, if you're going to engage in some sort of relationship with a person, with the hopes of eventually getting married, you have to be ready, you have to be willing from the beginning to see it through to its end. So it's not just like I'm testing the water and then maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work. And then 18 months down the road, you realize you're not going to be able to marry this person unless you disobey your mother. And you're not ready to do that. You should have thought about that from the beginning. That, that was upon you to think about from the beginning. Not after you've already invested all this time with this person and emotion, emotions are involved and so on and so forth. You have to know from the beginning. And that goes for brothers and for sisters. Because we've seen a lot of cases where sisters were like, not even, they're not even not willing to disobey if they have to, which is its own issue, you know, we can address uh, maybe very briefly. But they're not even willing to have a conversation with their family about it because they know their family is going to get upset and they're not even willing to talk to them about it. Well, then maybe like, maybe this isn't for you. You know, maybe that's, you should try to talk to someone else. Maybe you should, like you have to, if you're going to open the door, you have to be ready and willing to walk through the door because the heart is a very sensitive thing. The heart is very sensitive and emotions build very quickly. People get very invested, so on and so forth. Um... In terms of disobeying, you know, very briefly, the, the family, especially the wali of the woman, the guardian of the woman, has a role, obviously, in the marriage process. Most schools of law require that the, the wali actually is the one that uh, does the marriage on behalf of the woman. That's most schools of law hold that position. Again, to say what's true. And the Hanafis don't. Which is, I think, kind of well-known for people. Um, but, however, that doesn't mean that the wali is just like this lone ranger tyrant figure that gets to do whatever they feel like and make whatever argument they want at any given time. It doesn't work that way. The person's responsibility as a guardian is to see to the marrying of the person who is under their care to someone who is appropriate to them and good for them. That is their job. And so if they, uh, and, the, and this is again its own issue in the fiqh. It's not like something we're just making up. We even have translations of opinions from fiqh councils and stuff like that. Is that if the, if the father is objecting for no legitimate reason. Like I had a case only once that I have to deal with this. There was a case where the father was objecting. His only sole reason was that my daughter is going to a four-year university and this the guy that she wants to marry is going to a two-year college. That was his only reason. There's nothing else. And the whole, like, manners, character, religion, compatibility, none of it. It was like, well, I had to tell him. Like, I called him. I told him, look, the reason why you're objecting to this is not acceptance. It's not, not, it's not sufficient in the Sharia. And, you know, like, we can talk as a family. We can try to figure it out and so on and so forth. But if that's all you have, like, it's really hard to accept that. You know, and they ended up getting married. But and this is one of the issues that's very challenging in the Muslim community, because if the wali is disagreeing for an illegitimate cause, for an unacceptable cause in the Sharia, then it's the job of the judge to override the wali. Well, you don't have an Islamic judge, right? There's no qadi in America. There's no qadi. So what do you do? And they say that in the, in the fiqh councils and stuff, they say that the imam of a major Islamic center, some of the opinions, there's two ba major approaches. One of them is that the imam of a major Islamic center can fill the role of the qadi. So, you know, I was the imam at ICO, of ICOI at that time. May Allah forgive us for everything that happened in those times. Um, and then the, the second one is that three imams can play the role of the qadi. They have a panel of three and they hear the case. This applies to a lot of things. It's a very important issue. 
applies to a lot of things and an issue that we quite frankly have no answers for as a community which is really problematic because um, it applies to a lot of issues in divorce it applies to a lot of issues in marriage and so on and so forth um, so you have to be willing to see it through from the beginning that's where we were right um, So in my opinion, and I believe that this is an opinion that is backed by the evidence and the practice of the Muslims throughout the ages, is that if someone is interested in someone else, that is something to, for the only reason to engage in that relationship is if you are intending to try to get married to them. Right? If you're not intending that, then there's no interaction because the purpose is not there. There's nothing to be done in the first place. Okay, there's no like, let me plant the seeds and see how it goes type thing. No, like someone should come and smack you. Um, and then they should, um, but the family should interact with each other. And, or at least they should be aware of what's going on, ideally. Okay, now the problem with what I'm about, everything I'm about to say is that the ideal very often does not exist. It's very common that the ideal does not exist. There's some sort of issue. Either the family's unreasonable, situation doesn't add up properly, whatever it might be. But there, there's usually some sort of complication. But ideally, the families at least have some sort of knowledge that this is going on. At least. At least they have some sort of knowledge that, you know, this person came and we understand that they want to get to know our daughter or they want to get to know my son or whatever it is and go ahead and talk to each other and, like, figure out that whole area is gray, you know. The old school way of doing it was that if you, and it's usually it came from the brothers, but it doesn't have to come from the brothers, you know, like that's not, Khadija radiallahu anha is the one who initiated the interaction with the Prophet them, right? Like she sent her friend to talk to the Prophet. They had a little conversation. Then the Prophet's family came to Khadija's family. But, so that's, that's totally fine. But, um, but oftentimes it would come from the brothers' side. One of the big things here, brothers, you have to accept, is that things are not always going to go the way that you want them to go. And if you want to maintain honor and dignity of yourself and others, then you have to be willing to get rejected. It's really hard for people now, I've noticed. Like, it's really, really tough for people to accept this. But you have to be willing to get rejected. You have to be willing to call someone's family and say, you know, so-and-so. And they come back with the message that they don't, they're not interested. And you have to be like, okay. As long as you know... But the, the, again, the problem here is, did they actually talk to the sister or not? Right? This because it's very common. Like someone might come, they talk to the family, and the family doesn't even talk to the girl or the woman, and then they just say no, and you're like, well, okay, I accept the rejection, but I don't even know if she was interested in the first place. That's a problem. The woman should always be consulted, and the man should always be consulted. In the end, it is their decision. The man in the, in the end, it is their decision. They have to be consulted. They can't like be having made decisions on their behalf without any consideration. Um, God, there's so much information. You're okay? Everyone's okay? Everyone likes usually this topic, so. Um, yeah, everyone's like, mashallah. So you have to be willing to get rejected. It's okay. Like, it is actually okay. To say, I'm interested in such and such person, I'm going to call them. Okay, they didn't. Like, Qadr Allah ma sha'afad. You have to be able to deal with Qadr if you're going to go down this route. Yes? How do you, how do you see the whole rejection thing now with the uh, dating apps? That's dating apps and stuff? If you're going to get rejected or not? I mean, they're not, there's, you can deal with the four P's and you can deal with honor and respect and still use that. That's fine. But. Now you got catfishing a problem. Yeah. Now I'm thinking like the salmon that don't swim upstream, they don't turn pink. They have to artificially turn them pink. That's what I was told or I read or something. But, you know, yeah, you can get away with it. But it's okay to, so, you know, whatever, if, if, you know. It's hard to get married. Like, I, I recognize that. It's very hard to get married. And in our community, it's extremely difficult to get married because there's actually nowhere that you can just even sit and do this. 
Like, even just sit somewhere and listen to a lecture and be decent human beings and drink tea and have fun afterwards, then you can't actually do that anymore. There's <laughs> nowhere you could do it in the Muslim community. So, like, how are you going to actually even find someone that you're interested in in the first place? So, uh, one of our intentions was when we started this place that people would get married. It's actually a particular intention that people will be able to come, benefit, be part of a community, so on and so forth. They might see someone they're interested in. They can go about expressing their interest with, to them in some sort of way and eventually get married. That's a good thing, you know, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, we have like one and a half so far. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the complication, right? Is that how you're going to engage with that, it depends on a number of variables. I think ideally the the families understand that this is the way to go through this and they make that easy. If they make that easy, then you can get them involved from the beginning. If they don't, then like yani, you kind of have to See, like, maybe you can do, like, initial levels of interaction. Also, when you have community, it's easier, too. Because, like, like if someone came to me in the past, I think I, I did this happened a couple of times at the masjid. If someone came and they were like, you know, Fulan, this is the situation. My family, like, I want my family to be involved, but if I get them involved, they're just a headache. Like, they're going to want me to get married in 12 hours. <laughs> and I don't really want to do it that way. And I want to be able to talk to the person and get to know them and so on and so forth. So, like, at least I want to meet the person a couple times before the family is involved. And, like, you know the person. And, like, you know, again, community, a big problem of how do you navigate all of these things is in the absence of community. When you have community, you know, like, how to deal with things. You have means by which you can deal with them. You have resources and so on. So people sometimes would come like that and be like, okay, you know, meet them here at the masjid. You can come at this time, go and talk like over there. You can, you can talk in my office if you want. Somewhere where like people aren't going to either see you, most people aren't going to see you, or it doesn't look so shady. You come and talk to each other a little bit, whatever. And like, I'll be here. I'll be around. So like someti sometimes you have to have solutions to them because some of it just doesn't work. You know, some families it just doesn't work. Uh... Yeah, some families it really just doesn't work. Uh, but this is part of why like, we need to have an understanding on this. Which leads to the next point. Which is that um, there's stages in this whole thing. Okay, So the first stage is what we call consideration phase. Consideration. Second phase is engagement. And third phase is getting being married. I've, I've noticed now in our community it's very common for people to have their kitab, like they've done their nikah and they call themselves engaged. This is very strange misusage of terms. I understand why people use it, like they did the nikah and they didn't actually do the wedding yet, so they're like married but they're not fully married, they're not living together and all of this kind of stuff. But the problem with this technically is, once you have done your nikah, you are married. You can put whatever word you want on it, but you are married. And why that matters is because there's rights that come from that and they're not just like financial maintenance there's things like so say we c the person does their nikah they do the verbal contract everything they say they're married but they refer to themselves as engaged if the husband dies does the wife inherit she does because that's his wife if they were engaged if they were actually engaged like shara'an engaged would she inherit no this is a huge issue if they have a child, it's possible, right? We agreed with the families that we're only going we're, we're gonna to do the marriage contract, but we're not going to consummate the marriage. We're not living together, so on and so forth. So everything else, but, they, but someone ends up pregnant. Is that child a legitimate child? No. Yes, because they're actually married. They broke a promise. They broke a promise, which is a big deal. Break a like you just got married, you broke a promise to your family and your in-laws and so on and so forth, it's a big deal. But is the marriage legitimate? The marriage is legitimate. So like the term, it's kind of important to have clarity on this. You can refer to it however you want, but as long as you understand that things are mutaratabani. Anyways, point number one is you have consideration first. Most important thing about the consideration period is that there is no commitment 
to see the thing through. It is as simple as I'm interested in getting to know the person better with the intention of potentially getting married and I just want to get to know them. There's, there's, um, there's like a, uh, there is some level of commitment as to the question of like, should you be considering multiple people at once? And if I recall correctly, there's some, there's some debate on this in the fiqh. My personal opinion is that you should absolutely not be doing that. If you're considering someone, consider that person. If you're closing that door, close that door. If you're not closing that door, don't close that door. But don't do the whole, like, I'm considering three people at the same time and talking to them and stuff. It's just not healthy. And it's not like... A lot of things, they become clear with time, and a lot of things come out with time. So you don't know. Like, you might actually consider three people at once. And you're like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm being, you know, I'm keeping everyone's privacy and so on and so forth. And you get married. Ten years down the road, it comes out that you were considering three people at the time that you were considering your wife or your husband. Things come out, like, over time in marriage, right? So, like, now it's going to be, like, you know, maybe a little bit of an issue. Someone might feel, like, a little bit not so good about that. And, and also just, it's very tricky. The nefs is very tricky. It's better not to open the door for the nefs and a lot of different things. But so consideration, and this is one of the issues, is that many, many families don't believe in the idea of consideration. They believe in, if someone comes to me, they're going to get married, that's it. Okay, so how is, like... What is the option that you're leaving here? The only door that you've left open there is you're forcing someone to get to know someone else, your child, to get to know someone else outside of your knowledge. That's essentially what you're doing. Because they're not just, like, we're in America. They're not just going to marry someone because you said so. It doesn't work that way. Right? No matter how much you want it, it's probably not going to happen that way for the vast majority of situations. So if you're not open to this idea of a consideration period that has very little commitment, Right, we're just engaging with one another, so on and so forth. And that probably like the precursor to that is having those conversations with your children before that time comes, right? Which is also a big issue oftentimes in our in our community. Is that the kids can't even talk to the parents at all about the idea of ever wanting to get married. They're told you have to get married, but they're not allowed to ever think about getting married. Which is completely insane, right? So then how can you have a consideration process? So that consideration process, then there's no time limits on these things. Could take a month, it could take six months, could take nine months, could take a year, could take a year and a half. The rules don't really change in terms of like interaction, the things you should say, the things you should do, the way that you, you know, interact, stay. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. But consideration is first. At some point late, my opinion, some point late in the consideration period, this is a good time to get premarital counseling. Premarital counseling should be something that everyone does. Uh, there's no like harm in that. There's no dishonor in that. There's nothing in that except that you're probably going to learn things that you should learn before you get married. And uh, you know, maybe it will open your eyes to issues. The reason why I say late in the consideration period is because if you, what always happens with me is people come. They say we want to get married in two weeks. Can you do the marriage? I said yes. One of the conditions is you have to do counseling. They're doing count. They're already set. The the venue's done. The thing is done, the family's flying in. If they go to counseling and the counselor's like, you know what, you guys really need to work through some things, are they gonna work through them? No, because like everything's already done. It's better earlier. Earlier is better, late consideration period. Why late consideration? Because you're almost committed, but you're not quite committed yet. Because once you get engaged, engagement basically is, we have the intention to marry each other at a date that we're gonna choose in the future. May or may not be set. but. I've, I've basically made my choice now. I've, made, I've done my consideration. I've made my choice. We want to get married. Usually families read the Fatiha and all these, whatever other things they might do culturally, throw almonds at people's heads, stuff like that. Yes? The, the, the consideration period, what I'm here a term loosely use is Muslim dating. Muslim dating. Yeah, yeah, so is that what you would call a consideration period? I don't like that word myself. <laughs> um... Like I said, I'm kind of conservative on these things. I, I don't think that... Um, and I think that when we use words that are understood by other people to mean certain things, it clouds it for us too. So you could call it like courtship. You could call it a courting period. The example I always give for non-Muslims who don't understand is that I ex explain to them, but now it's harder to do, but still some people have seen it is in The Godfather too, and 
Michael Corleone gets married in Sicily. <laughs> it's basically a Muslim marriage. And of course, Sicily, Sicily was largely dominated by Muslims for a long time, right? So, but Michael Corleone's marriage in Sicily is like a Muslim marriage. He sees the girl, he's interested in her. He goes to like the restaurant or the coffee shop that the dad owns. And he sits there and he has like his friend inquire about the, about the girl to the dad. And then, you know, there's a little bit of a difference of opinion, but then, you know, they, they let him come to the house. When they come to the house, the whole family's there. It's like a huge setup. She's sitting in one place, he's sitting in one place. He has a gift for her and like so on and so forth. He meets the family, talk with the family, everything else. Then like they go on a walk and they're walking together and they're talking and then like this, the camera pans out and like the whole family's <laughs> like 50 paces back, the whole family's there, you know? So like they have some privacy but not too much privacy. It's like exactly a Muslim thing. And then they get married and whatever. Um, but, you know, I don't, the whole dating, you know, whatever. I, I'm not, in the, in the books they always say la, la, uh, that like we're not going to argue over terms like if we don't have to get into arguing over terms but like if the muslim dating looks like everyone else is dating which is like i'm going out by myself with the girl to a dark movie theater and we're holding hands and like that, that that's not muslim dating that's just dating <laughs> that's muslims dating <laughs> yeah so uh, it's different uh but you know, again, and again, I think that these things are there for a very real reason. And the the major issue behind that is that the heart is meant to love Allah, and because it's meant to love Allah, the heart is very powerful, and it wants to love, and it wants to like do these. It, 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 that capacity is there. So if you're not careful with it, that love is going to be spent somewhere. And uh, and the teachings of the religion, all of them are like, how do we put all of these other things in the right place so that love can be here and it can be here and it can be here, but it can be about Allah. Right? So if and if not, then it's just everything gets out of control. Almost call it whatever you want, but follow the four Ps because you're not follow the four Ps until you're married and you're engaged. The rules don't change either. You know, when you have khitbah. The rules don't, nothing changed in the Sharia. Nothing changed in the Sharia until you have nikah. Then obviously you're married. Um, people are really sensitive around this stuff. I know there's probably a bunch of questions and disagreements and everyone's mad at me and stuff. <laughs> but no one wants to believe and like think about these things seriously and care for them when everything's going right. It's when things go wrong that they're like, man, I wish I would have like, paid attention to that. And that's that's a part of like what things are there for. How uh, much? And uh, you know, age difference be a valid reason for um, <coughs> for the parents to say, hey, like someone who is double the age of the baby, like just like your dog. So yeah. Can be a valid reason. Possibly. Part of the complication of this is that this comes up in the issue in the fiqh. It comes up in the issue of kafaa. You know, a kind of like appropriateness between the husband and wife or the bride and the groom. And scholars throughout history have put all kinds of things in that category and taken all kinds of things out of it. Like the absolute minimum that is agreed upon pretty much across the board is that they should be at some similar level of religiosity. Like their understanding of deen should be similar. Um, but they included all kinds of other things. Like even difference in ethnicity, difference in social economic status, some of these things they did come up. When you look at it, you start thinking about like evidences and how it plays into the contract and so on and so forth. It seems that a lot of these things were there as means to kind of uh, push towards a more likely successful marriage, not because they're specifically defined by the Sharia. Um, so all of that being said. Um, the thing that I kind of like go back to in this regard is that if you have some sort of difference like this maybe it's difference in education it's a difference in uh, historic background like just history like what you've seen in life what you haven't seen in life age significant difference in age 
whenever there's like serious differences, it should be very thoroughly dealt with in counseling. And this to me is like one of the major issues of kafa'a. How do we determine kafa'a or not? Like appropriateness is, are they able to survive a counseling thing? Like if, if there's a major difference in age, but they go to like six or 10 counseling sessions and they've thoroughly dealt with that and they understand it and everyone's on the same page and so on and so forth. And the counselor says like they actually really get it and they're mature and everything else. And like, then, you know, maybe. But if it's like not, then it's not, you know. Uh, so I wouldn't like automatically count it out, but it's definitely something to consider. You know, I used to put it on my form at the masjid. I had this form with like all these questions. And if you answered yes to any of them, then you had to go to counseling. It wasn't just recommended. It's like if there's a significant age difference, if one of them doesn't have a green card or citizenship, if this, 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 this. It's like a bunch of issues that are like, you know, you should pay attention to them. Um, they're not deal breakers, but you should. My question is for the parents to use that as valid reason for a parent to say yes, I will not. Although both parties agreed, but the parent to say no, I will not approve that. Is it valid? Maybe yes, maybe no. Depends on the circum. It depends on the situation. Yeah, my wife wants to pray maghrib. I'm sure other people do too. Uh, we will, inshallah. Uh, in about probably 10 minutes <coughs> so that we can finish on time uh, so I'm going to stop here and we're going to have questions and stuff and then we can we'll do whatever uh, we stopped where? consideration okay uh, Maghrib came in about 13 minutes ago if we go another 10 minutes we're going to be okay inshallah if you don't agree with that there's a room right here and there's a room out front feel free to pray there's no issue okay yes I was a kid and I tried to ask my Some of that is going to come up when we get into the lecture about social ideal and cosmic sign and like how does how does the relationship of marriage and the institution of marriage relate to the overall creation and so on and so forth. But that issue of the right hands possess is a hard one. And um, I don't really have any good answer on it because I want to read Dr. Brown's book and I haven't read it yet. Dr. Jonathan Brown has a recent book on slavery and Islam. If you don't know, there's it's in it's there in the Quran, it's there in Muslim history. This idea that when a man has a female slave, that he there's there's a right to that relationship with the slave. Um, so that's obviously not in marriage, right? And what does that mean? And like, yeah, there's other there's things there that are interesting. Like, if they have a child, the child is free and the mother becomes free after the death of the man, the owner and stuff like that. Like those are interesting things that have major societal implications, but it's still a lot to wrap your head around, you know? So you don't, so. If you have time, it's available on Audible. I can't do but listening to books, the personally. The pronunciations are really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Maulana, do you have anything on this? I know it's come up from time to time. I mean, I think the most important part is just to know that um, it's very easy. It's very easy for these things to be son. treated um, anachronistically. Uh, and what I mean by that, it's an academic term, basically, that, that just means that when you're doing history, historians and people that are doing intellectual history have to know 
what type of context they're dealing with when they're looking at the pre-modern world in relationship to the concepts that we're dealing with in the modern period. So these are uh, concepts and facts about the reality of the world that have been around, um, and there weren't the same types of institutions. The nation-state model by itself uh, completely flips the way that we think about a whole group of concepts. Um, so recognizing that, and most of the scholars, not all <coughs> scholars, have recognized that you have to now uh, treat this issue in context of modern reality, um, would see it in a particular light that I think you know, can offer a lot more clarity for people who feel like, man, that's a lot for me to take uh, about my religion. What's a good book you recommend? Yeah, Slavery and Islam. I think Jonathan Brown has treated this issue, and uh, he's been doing this for like the past decade, and every time that we get together, we have like hour-long conversations about these things, so. Seems like it's really good. It's a tough issue. I mean, I think it's definitely not the kind of thing that I would I would slap someone over, <laughs> because it, it's a it's a really big question. It's a hard question. It's a real question. You know, I've internally it's it's something that's been you know smoldering in my heart and my mind for a long time. That's why I wa that's and I was when I heard that he was working on that book, I was really happy because I wanted to see like you know what he comes up with, but I haven't been able to read it yet. <coughs> so let's see as we go through it how it plays out, inshallah. No, it's gone. Yeah, it's, gone. it's, it's gone. the issue. Sure. Like that we would like think about, you know? Yeah. Like that we'd be like, okay, this is clear. This is probably what the Quran was talking about. Yeah. I mean, there is some level of modern day slavery, but yeah, it's not. Like that that ruling no longer applies unless you're like some wacko ISIS people or something. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, uh, sort of like the actual body of Muslim scholarship. No, it's gone. You know, slavery was something that Islam, the teachings of Islam, pushed us away from. And when the world accepted the elimination of slavery, we were happy about that and move on from it. It's not like something you you don't retrograde that one. You know, you don't do your throwback uh, on that one, you know. But, uh, but you know, conceptually, like, theoretically, the question still remains. I think that's where the, like, why why would that even be the case? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that <coughs> no one should start a relationship if they're not going to see it through. But then you also mentioned that consideration phase is not commitment. Mm. So there's, like, the line drawn, I think, too. They're not willing to see it through. They shouldn't start it unless they're willing to see it through. Assuming that everything goes the way that you want it to and it works and so on and so forth, you have to be willing to see it through. You don't start it and then at the end you're like, well, actually, you know what? I don't think I'm ready. Mm. That's that's for you to figure out in the beginning. Right? And it might be, in this. I mean in general, it might be that y as you go through the thing, you realize maybe this isn't a good fit and I don't want to marry this person. That's fine. But if it's like, I don't think actually I want to get married at all, then that's something you should think about beforehand. Or if it's like, I know my mom really wants me to marry someone who's Daisy, just a hypothetical example, for example, you know, and, and this person's Arab, but like, I'm going to consider them anyways, and I'm going to fight with my family a little bit. But then when it comes down to like really the end, and it's really now the time to make a decision, you're like, no, actually, I don't want to fight them. Should have figured that out from the beginning. No, that's like, you know, that's. I think it's really important. Like we have to recognize and accept that this whole thing, even you know, it's not a game. Other people's lives and other people's emotions and feelings and their families and their everything. It's not a game. Like you, these are. You have to. It's necessary to take some level of responsibility upon ourselves before we go into this whole thing. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that I personally did that, by the way. Right? So, like, you know, I was 20 years old, mostly an idiot, and extremely idealistic about the world and not practical and so on and so forth. And, like, a lot of the advice that I'm giving probably wouldn't apply to the actual reality that I went through. So I, re I recognize that, like, there can be exceptions, there can be this and this and this and this, whatever. But... You know, it's it's just very um, 
I've seen that one a lot of times, and it just really bugs me. Because, like, there was an issue that you knew was there from the beginning. And you went through this thing all this time. All of these hours, phone calls and conversations and tears and laugh and joy and friends and family and all of these things. And now you're going to come to the end. It's the same issue fil <laughs> the same one that you had in the beginning. So, like, like what, what is that in the end? You know? Honesty is important with ourselves and with others. It's not easy, but it's important. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. Good question. Um, does istikhara play an equal role in each part of the process or or not? I think that istikhara is really important although in general and through the different stages of the process. Istikhara is the prayer for guidance or the prayer for God to give one what's best. So um, basically, the way that that du'a happens is that you're asking God, Oh Allah, if this thing is good for me, then give it to me, and if not, then keep me away from it, right? So, depending on how you ask that question, you could ask it differently at different phases. Like, you could say, for example, if it's good for me to marry this person, or you could say, if it's good for me to consider this person. It might change at different phases. But definitely when it's like, it's definitely part of the process. And... Um, and like plays a role in how um, one of the big things about the process that I didn't mention is that like you have to deal with the big questions the emotions are very tricky they will cloud lots of things very quickly so if 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 the major issues are not brought up and talked about early on you know and same thing with istikhara when I pray istikhara I have to actually be asking for God's guidance with the recognition that I'm looking for his guidance, that I don't actually know better. And anyone with the base level intellect can understand that that's true, if they, especially in marriage. See all kinds of things in marriage. People who thought it was going to work, people who thought it wasn't going to work, people who thought it was good, thought it was bad, everything. In the, en- in the end, you don't know. All you're doing is trying your best to make an educated decision. And in the end, Ya Allah, if it's good for me, guide me to it. If it's not, keep it away from me, Ya Rabb. You know? And by the way, it might be good for you in ways that sometimes people do istikhara and they're honest and they're sincere in their istikhara and then they end up five years later getting divorced. And they'll say, well, I made the istikhara and then Allah put me in this situation and ended up not being a good marriage and then I ended up divorced. Maybe actually there was things to be learned in that. It's hard. Those, like, life is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. You know, it's, it's not always... Uh, like most of the years that we prayed istikhara, I prayed istikhara almost every year to leave Egypt when we were studying in Egypt because the place was just driving us crazy. You know, it's like poverty and oppression and horrible and like nothing's consistent. It's always it falls apart. Finally, you find something and it happens twice and then it doesn't continue. Like it's just endless, right? And every year we wanted to leave. And every year it's like, man, the istikhara says we shouldn't leave. And like, man, I want to leave this place, you know? <laughs> but then like 10 years later, you realize, oh, it was good that we didn't leave. You know, so sometimes it's like istikhara. We can ask God to give us what's good for us, and what's good for us might not actually be what we think is good for us, and that's really like now it's an issue of like how much do I really believe that God knows and I don't know, and that's really hard. I'm not trying to like, uh, you know, I'm not making any claims on that one. That's it's a really hard pill to swallow when you're in it, and you don't know how you're going to react until you're in it. So may Allah be gentle with us and make it easy for us and so on. Tamar, I really want to hear your question, but we really have to pray. So we can pray Maghrib and then if people want to have more questions or something, we can do that. Now it's getting too late.